0: Maria H everybody. Uh is it my go or Megan are you talking? Hi you baby. All right cool. Hey everybody. Uh thank you. First of all, at the, at the risk of it seeming like this is the Maria show, I really am very happy to be back the same you know spot same time last week, but I I do not wish to occupy um all of the all of the time today at all. So I I want to kind of bounce around on a couple of to me, interrelated topics. Um, when Megan messaged me and, and said, uh, "and and I do not put up with Megan." Megan Megan graces my life with her presence, uh, but uh, Megan may put up with me. I'll tell you that much. Um, I think one of the things that uh, that's been on my mind a lot lately is, you know, I mean the the idea of what we carry and what we let go. There's a there's a wonderful book I'm sure some of you you know it by Tim O'Brien called "The Things We Carried." which is about his time in Vietnam. If you haven't read it, it's a beautiful, beautiful classic book. Um, and, and in it, he uses the metaphor of both the objects that people, soldiers specifically, were were carrying and were weighted down with in Vietnam to talk about what we carry in our lives and what we then carry all of our lives in some in some cases um, and what we can and what we can't bring ourselves to put down. And it, it got me thinking about, because early early in sobriety, there was this jackass of a guy in my, in my meeting, obviously he was so awful. I remembered him for all this time because clearly what he said stuck. So who cares if he's a jackass, it really stuck. He would talk about this woman he'd met in treatment, who was always following him around and yelling, drop the rock, drop the rock. And because I did not have a kind of a traditional sobriety, you know, go through the 28 day program sort of experience. I was like, all the slogans were sort of new to me. And the idea of putting the rock down was really amusing. I was like, oh my God, that's hilarious. We're all walking around with a rock. So, you know, every day is Saturday to a dog. And and I was just all excited about the idea of being able to put down uh, active addiction and then later being able to put down my anger or being able to put down this, that or the other thing. And so like that metaphor has continued to be really meaningful to me throughout my sobriety and and in my life in recovery. And, And I was thinking about it today, I'm like, have I gotten to a point, and this is one of the beautiful things about staying alive long enough to to notice you've fucked up again, or, you know, whatever. But, like, I've been like, all right, so at what point did I start putting down too much and no longer being willing to carry anything with me? Like, have I erred too far in the other direction? And I think there's truth to that in my life. Um I think also we're all aligned in, in different ways. Some of us are going to tend to carry shit way too long. Some of us are going to tend to, I'm not even going to pick that up. Once my friend Ruth said to me, you know, I mean, people are always like, Oh, you're so, you're such a risk taker. You're so brave. You run around the country all over the world by yourself, blah, blah, blah. And it was my friend Ruth who said to me, you are the most risk averse person I have ever known. I'm like, Hey, I am bold and brave. I do everything myself. She's like, no, emotionally you are the most risk averse person I've ever met. I'm like, well, fuck you then, smart ass. It's not like you've known me for 40 years or anything. Um, And so it was really telling to me that someone who knew me very, very well could see past. I mean, the simple fact is I do take a lot of material or physical risks in my life, but she was right about my aversion to attachment, which if you're any kind of sort of Buddhist or practice have any experience with Buddhism, The middle path involves not over-attaching and not becoming over-averse to anything. And she's like, really convenient that you've gotten really good at having no attachments. Funny how you've now become averse to absolutely everything. I was like, again, fuck you, Ruth. But point was that what I've carried in my life at times has not served me. And at times, equally, what I have let go has been less peacefully setting it down in the little Zen garden of my mind and walking away and been more like snip goodbye. And that is instructive to me because it is no, it's like inverse pride. Like you can have the grandiosity, who's also Ruth, damn her, who once said to me, and I'm like, I don't know why they keep talking about pride at these meetings, like overblown pride. You know, we're arrogant. We're, and she goes, well, you have that. I'm like, no, I don't No, I don't absolutely not because I'm such a screw up and I'm so awful. And she's like, ah, right. cause you're the special evil one. You're so, and I know some of you heard me talk about that because you're so bad that you're badder than everybody else, right? Like that's really convenient again. And so one of the things that I had to let go early in sobriety was the idea that I was the worst fuck up ever. I'm as, as fuck ups go, I'm quite middle of the road. I'm, I'm a very mild fuck up actually, as are probably most of you in this room, Many of whom may be walking around with this sort of like I am insufferably the worst, most mentally ill, most addicted, most screwed up, most none of us here wins that award. Not one. We're in such competitive territory for like who's the fuck up. And so on this by the same token, we're none of us that bad because aren't we all sitting here with something to watch a meeting on? We're all in a meeting, we're all making some kind of concerted effort to show up, if not even to do better. I mean, some of us are definitely here to like do better. At the very least, though, we all showed up and we all have enough wireless access to get our butts here. So like, good, good on us. And, and the thing of it is, that puts us back to the middle of the road, and it takes away some of that extreme thinking, which for me, especially early in sobriety, was one of the things I carried. It really was the I had it all and then I lost it all. That's trash. I didn't have it all. I didn't lose it all. I was pretty much fine. Was I a mess? Yeah. Did I almost die? Yeah, lots of times. But that too is not innovative. Like everybody here almost died a lot of times. Like none of us has the corner on that market either. And so as we go forward, letting go and carrying forward, when I started to think about What people meant by take what you want and leave the rest at first in sobriety, I really felt like that was a risky thing to be saying to people, which meant that I thought it was a really risky thing to be saying to me was like, don't tell me there's any room to move, because if you give me an inch, I will for sure take a fucking mile. You know, if you give me an inch on what's sobriety, I will be over in left field real quick. And so really when people were saying, you know, take what you want and leave the rest. I'm like, no, 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 no. People will screw up sobriety then. And really what it was, was if you tell me there's any room to interpret here, I will interpret in a way that is self-destructive and other destructive. That is how I will interpret this. As time goes on and you get a little bit more, um, as I have become more, more able to trust my own judgment over time i have come to understand i have to leave some of what y'all say i have to take some of what y'all say when i don't like it you know what i mean i have to do discernment is a word i i come up with a lot i come up against a lot i'd say because any slogan taken to ex- extreme can be can be self destructive or other destructive any sort of rule of thumb can be broken or can be taken so far that we are no longer in any kind of middle path. Same holds true with the idea of what what we hold and what we let go, you know what I mean? And so that's sort of where I've been thinking a lot these days. I'd love to tell you, I am just a really extreme person. That actually isn't true, but it was really a core facet of my identity for a long time. It's not true. I liked it as an identity. I'm extreme. I have an addictive personality, also not true none of the things that I was really committed to as identity factors are true, except I am in fact really mouthy. I mean, like maybe that's true, but even at, there are times at which I'm not right. Like, so I, I mean, like there are core facets of my personality that are shitty and are just stuck there so far, but maybe I'll root them out too. When I got into the program, I was desperately afraid that I would stop being angry um and I which is funny because like all these people were like you won't always be angry and I'd immediately be like fuck off because I'm like clearly you don't understand why that's important to me and finally some very nice fellow says to me why is it important i mean that's a valid question like why is it important to you that you get to keep your anger and to be totally fair i said to him dude i'm a rabbit in a world of wolves right like i'm a, i'm a young very small of frame woman And if I stop being angry, it actually is a risk. And the kindness of this man saying, oh, that's very reasonable, keep that. The kindness of him being like, that's not my experience, but it had never occurred to him or to the other guys who were like, you're gonna be softer and gentler one day. And I'm like, I hope not, because that's really risky for me. Um, That was very kind of him to just get outside his own experience and say to me, yeah, you'll wanna keep that then, won't you? What wisdom and also what compassion that showed. And so there are things that I have, whether it's sponsees or friends or people who sponsor or mentor me, when I see them doing a thing, I've stopped feeling it necessary to say, you need to put that down, drop the rock, drop the rock, drop the rock. I've stopped saying that. And I've started trying to remember to say, and at least this is what I think now is what is important about carrying that right now? You know what I mean? What is meaningful about what you're carrying forward, what's meaningful to you about what you're letting go. I do know that if I don't continue the constant self uh, uh, interrogation might be too strong a word for some people. I like it because that is the operation I've got going on here is, is a self interrogation of what am I still carrying? that I don't need anymore? What am I letting go that I probably do, but don't want to allow myself? You know what I mean? Some of you may have, uh, may be aware that I have a very, very long history with eating disorders and disordered eating. And it's been many years since that was an active concern of mine. I have come to realize much more recently though, that something of the principle of what I dealt with really serious anorexia, something of the principle behind that endures in me, even though I have been physically and mentally healthy around food for decades. I mean, it's been decades since I dealt with an eating disorder. I am still at some level in my life, depriving myself of any kind of softness, any kind of comfort, any kind of emotional nourishment beyond that, which I have deemed appropriate and acceptable and not too much. That is anorexia. It's just happening in my heart. So at what point do I start looking at what are the ways in which I am still carrying things I thought I had let go? At what level am I still letting go of things I now need? And so that's sort of one of the questions that I'd like to sort of throw out there for us today to talk about. And I'm happy to do this more as a dialogue if we want to today is really there is no there is no scientific measure by which I can say. I let go of all these things. Some of those things I let go and then they came around and bit me in the butt years later. Some of those things I let go long before it was time to do so. And I go around acting like a starved feral cat all the time because I let them go too soon and did not get enough of them. Some of the things that I have held that I thought were serving me have done nothing but become dead weight and and slow me. And and prevent me actually from this is one of my favorite ways of thinking about the idea of character defects. Again, one of these guys and I got sober in what I've some of you have heard me call a crusty old guys meeting. I didn't know it was a men's meeting. I walked in shit faced. I'm like, is this a meeting? They're like, you bet, kids, sit down. You know what I mean? So like that's how I wound up getting sober in a group of crusty old guys. Um, but one of them did say to me because <clears throat> I didn't like the idea of character defect, And I was at that point still really dealing with such a uh, a kind of, um, I, I think of it now as a really unright-sized self-concept. I was in some ways seeing myself as too big, in some ways seeing myself as too small. It was really just not right-sized, like, like bouncing back and forth from the extremes of I'm the worst to I'm the best worst. And so I was really afraid of looking at the idea of character defects. I was afraid to do my fourth step. I was very afraid to do actually my eighth step because I'm like, I'm going to have to look at these as character defects. I already hate myself enough. And this guy's like, you do and you don't. But what if you just think of character defects as, and this is continued, this is actually, if any one thing has guided my sobriety and recovery process, it is this statement. Him saying, Character defects don't need to be considered anything personal. All they are is things that are getting in the way of your being useful to the world. That's all. It still breaks my heart to think about that. It still breaks my heart to think about like some of those character defects were just the self-hatred that was preventing me from going out and being present to the world. Like that alone was a character defect. And he's like, so one of the correctives for that kind of character defect is self-compassion. And I'm like, "I can't have any of that. And I'm like, "You know, I don't want any of that. That'll be awful. I'll die of kindness. like get out of my face." sort of thing. And so the things that are continue to, to, to block my usefulness to the world are things that land on my periodic eight steps, my tenth steps. They are the same things that somebody else, in an older era maybe, uh, or, or a more stringent era of recovery, would call character defects. To me, they aren't character. You know what I mean? Like how much of us is even character? Like the character that I thought I was, and this is kind of important lately. I've noticed lately that when I came into the program and started thinking about being restored to sanity, that is why I stayed the idea of being restored to sanity. Because when I came in, and this is sort of what I think about like uh, the idea of um what we carry and what we let go. And take what you want and leave the rest. What I wanted when I got to recovery was sanity. I didn't give a fuck about anything else. I didn't want my money back. I didn't want my family back. I didn't care if I ever lived in a house. I didn't care if I ever got out of the industry. All I cared about was that there be some sanity somewhere, someday. And if these people told me they had a route to it, I would literally have stood on my head for the rest of my life and waved my toes and been like, if they say this is going to get me sane, I'll do it. You know what I mean? I didn't care about anything else. We, you know, this sort of like, we will understand the word serenity. I'm like, fine, good, great. All I want is the restored to sanity. And then as soon as you start overthinking, then you can second guess that. As soon as I started overthinking, I was like, wait, I've never been, when was I last sane? So the word restored, I got really fixated. I have a little bit of a, you know, fixation with language and and I use it a lot. And And so I started getting very cross and going to every meeting complaining about, the fact that I could not possibly be restored to sanity if I had never been sane. I'm sure you've all heard this and said this, some of you, like the same thing, like that doesn't make sense. I can't be restored if I never was there in the same sense. Well, I mean, syntactically there's also a problem with the same word recovery or whatever, regain, whatever. So, I mean, the issue there is syntactical, not actually philosophical or principle-based, but point being, I was saying, honestly, I have not been sane or felt sane since I was like nine. And they're like, well, What did you like about your life when you were nine? And and I was like, well, I was, um, I was content. That's, and they're like, well, that's probably what sanity is going to look like for you is you're going to be content. There's going to be weather, you're going to deal with it and you're just going to, you know, and that was really true. What's interesting to me now is how quick I was to dismiss. And this may have had something to do with how young I was when I got sober. It's, it's, it's very easy to dismiss the wisdom of children when you are still functionally a child. And I got sober when I was like 25, so 26. So, so I was still in this phase of having to reject a child's self because what does she know? Now I'm a grown up and I deal with the weight of the world and there are bills to pay, blah, 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 blah. Children are actually way smarter than adults. And so, and they're also more insightful and they're also more resilient. And that, was what I came to realize about that child self was that in fact, my world was abject chaos. My parents were, were, and are, I'm lucky enough. They're still here. Fucking crazy and really brilliant and absolutely awful in a lot of ways, right? Like they're brilliant. I adore them. I still have a relationship with them. I'm very, very lucky. I've also worked really hard for that. Not because I was an addict, but because in fact they have not had therapy and they're in their 80s. And they really, uh, that's just how it's going to be. So that being what it is, I was living in total violent chaos, but I was also okay. Like I was all right. I was like, yeah, this is how it is here. It's just a little loud all the time. And so like, while I don't wish wish that childhood on people, what I do notice about that individual child, was that I was like, well, I go out the back window. It's close enough. I'll land okay. And I can run from here. And there are so much, there's so much in my heart about that young self of being like crazy world, man. Guess I'm going to go out the back window. And that's really wise. You know what I mean? There are parts of me that that I now realize my at 49, I have been restored to whatever I had at nine, which was this kind of like, wow, world is super fucking crazy, folks. I'm going out the back window. There's part of me now that's able to see the wisdom and the resilience of, of being restored to a younger self or an earlier self that was not carrying the grief, the resentment the anger, the layer after layer after layer of identities that I've borrowed because I have to be I have to be a wife, I have to be a mom, I have to be a teacher, I have to be this, I have to be all these things, right? The realization that all of those identities are like paint layers, right? And if I chip it away and chip it away and chip it away and chip it away, I am in fact back at this nine-year-old who was like, batty world, man, we're going to go climb trees. Like, let's get out of here. And that is, in fact, the life I get to live now, not because I have the luxury that I might have wanted, uh, financial or otherwise, I don't have that. What I do have is this sort of young ability to, you've seen this sign, I'm sure, somewhere people saying, you know, you're the sky, everything else is just the weather, right? If everything else is allowed to come and go, whether it's thoughts or feelings or urges or cravings or impulses, or bad ideas, or great ideas that aren't going to be great tomorrow, you know, whatever it is, if that can all be allowed to come and go. I feel like it is possible for me, that is sanity for me is the ability to be in the world, which is in fact collapsing, and still go outside and be like, I can for sure get up that tree. I can definitely get up that tree. I've got shoes on for that. You know what I mean? And so if I'm at a point in my life where I have more in common with my nine-year-old self, and I do, than with my 19 or 29 or 39-year-old self, and I do, there is both a healing that happens because I'm allowed to forgive this whatever inner child, there's truth to that stuff, right? Like I'm allowed to forgive whatever fuck-ups happened in the ensuing years and learn from them, but I'm also able to take what I want from childhood and leave the rest. I don't have to bring the violence. I don't have to bring the drunks, any of them. You know what I mean? I can just bring the part that worked, right? The ability to be like this screen, I got a screwdriver. You know what I mean? Like I'm out. I can do that to this day. There's a resilience and wisdom to that. And I can also take the parts of, of spirit or heart or whatever that allow me to continue to be open to experience in the way a child is. And I don't think I was, once I started using and once I started locking into a level of anger and resentment that I really did come to hold as an identity, I got to keep the openness to experience and leave some of the experience's um, scars in some ways. And that has been very surprising to me. So, all right, we're 30 minutes in, folks, or roughly. I've talked about a lot of stuff, but the general theme is what we carry, what we let go, take what you want, leave the rest, anything like that. I'm happy to talk at junctures in here. I'll probably jump in, but please, y'all, give me some feedback. Give a shout. Talk about what you want to talk about, please. Thank you for allowing me to speak.